2: You can also download the actual worksheet process itself. It's a simple PDF file. Click the link, download it, print it off, copy it as often as you'd like, and use it over and over again absolutely free. You can also go to your app store and type in the three words Heartland Aramaic Forgiveness. And if you choose to do that before you're done typing the word forgiveness, you'll see the glowing heart icon. If you choose to tap on that, it will let you download a completely free and private app that contains the Reality Management Worksheet. It also contains an abbreviated version of that worksheet process, and it contains a copy of the Dragon on Klingon game, which is a wonderful way to introduce these tools to even younger audiences. And we hope people do all of that soon and often primarily because it tends to improve the quality of people's lives the more they actively engage the use of these tools, and secondarily because it tends to prompt comments, questions, answers, and testimonials. And if you have any of those to share with us, we would appreciate it if you would do so by giving us a call at 563-999-3581. Call that number and press 1 on your phone. It will put the little icon of a hand by your phone number, I will see you're there. Turn on the microphone and announce you by your area code. Alternatively, you can send us an email. You can email me at tjh at mindshifters-academy.org or you can email Jeannie at jeanie at org. That's w-h-y-a-g-a-i-n dot o-r-g. And if you send us an email or a message, comment, a question, We will um, address it as we have time on the Internet show and then send you a message, as time allows, to let you know what day and time your comment or question was addressed. And you can then listen back to the archives for the feedback. We greatly appreciate whenever people call live or send us an email and let us know how things are going for them because that makes it far easier for us to live into our intention with this work The intention we have with this work is to be of service. And so if you would be so kind, let us know. How can we be of service to you? What would be of best, most effective interest to you and effective use to you for how we spend our time both uh, from this hour, from 11 to noon Central Time, or, from noon to one, when Michael and Jeannie are uh, on the show, it just uh really makes a difference when we know how's it landing for you we have um, We had a support group last night, as I have mentioned. I will be taking some time off, beginning on friday and Last night in the support group, we treated people to the video of my interview with Pierre Pratervan, which hasn't published yet, but we'll be able to hear the audio of it on Friday on this show in my usual time slot, and we were discussing with him some of his life history and what led him to write the book, his newest book, which is The Gentle Art of Spiritual Discernment and his ideas about spirituality and an individual pursuing their own path to spirituality rather than blindly following uh, a teacher or um, a group, a religion, or um, a faith group of some kind. And um, you'll get to listen to that on th- on Friday if you uh, tune in. It's 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 interesting what one of the things that I took from our our group last night was how differently each of us are assimilating and making sense of these talks or videos or whatever we're doing because we each have our own history and our own meanings for these things. And um, I had somebody that I had introduced to the work recently and gave her the whyagain.org website information. And she came back and she said, I'm not sure I agree with that. And I said, well, what is it you think you don't agree with? And what we found out by discussing it was that she hadn't really done much except she saw the link for the Course in Miracles book and went to a website and downloaded it and tried to start to read through the Course in Miracles. When I What I was doing was trying to give her a brief introduction to the reality management worksheet and how she might apply it in her life. And she went down the rabbit hole. There was just something about it that drew her. And then when she got drawn to it, then she found that what she was doing mostly was arguing against it rather than just, you know, letting it sit there and, and or letting herself get active in the use of the reality management worksheet. So, that's That's a new thing. I've never had that happen before when I sent somebody to dr Michael Rice's uh, website. I have had people who've gone to the website and said, "I can't make head or tails of it and and i'm I'm confused, which is um why Jeannie has now put up two two new videos about how to navigate their material, either the website or the app. On the phone and um, so I found out just by accident today that um, that those two videos are not accessible through my Apple um, my iPhone and they are accessible through the Google phone or, or through the Android platform So I don't know what the deal is. I will pass that along to uh, Jeannie. But if you go on your laptop and go to the website, there are these two wonderful videos that Jeannie put together to help step people through the hundreds, if not thousands, of pages they have on their whyagain.org website. And rather than clicking on those, this person that I sent to their website scanned all the way down to Course in Miracles, went to a different website, downloaded Course in Miracles, and got lost in it. And um, and basically wanted to come in and have an argument about whether or not sin is real. So, I mean, it's just it's fascinating to me how every one of us sees the world so, so differently. And so I might think, hey, what I'm doing here is useful, and we're reading the "A Walk in the Physical" book by Christian Sunberg, and weaving in Guy Finley stories, and Ellen Hoffman references, and Byron Katie's work, and and I might be thinking, this is wonderful and fascinating, and and I watch the switchboard and sometimes people are on and they drop off. I don't know if they drop off because they were driving and they went to a different cell area or they're bored or they're offended. or And it's all okay. We have to just understand that if I take offense to something someone said or did, it's me creating and taking the offense. Even if they intended the offense, I don't have to take it. I'm the one that creates the feeling within me of being offended. I was doing some energy release work earlier today for another person, and there was this corded or, or bound up connection of compound emotions that had to do with uh, failure, guilt, and hopelessness. And as I've mentioned before, there are a number of people that I've worked with. They're just wonderful people. They are, they're working actively day in and day out to be the best person they know how to be. And they would assess themselves as being a failure in this or that. They would assess themselves as needing to have guilt because they were unable to succeed in this or that. They can generate the thought pattern of it is hopeless because they failed to succeed in this or that. And I am looking at this from the outside, and I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, this is one of the best fathers I've ever seen. This is one of the best examples of mothering I've ever seen. This is a person with really healthy boundaries. It's not going to put up with abuse. And I'm looking at the same stuff they're looking at, but we're clearly not seeing the same thing. I had another person in my office recently who was challenging the bottom line observation that says, if I have a negative thought active in my mind about myself or somebody else or a negative emotion active in my mind and body, I can instantly know three things. Number one, I can know that it's either a lie or based on a falsehood. Number two, I can know that it's an old tape playing. It's not about what's going on in the current moment. And the third thing I can know about it is if I sit and spin with thoughts about it, I speak from it or I act from it, it's just going to make my life worse. It cannot improve my life to think, speak, or act from a negative emotional state or on a negative thought. Well, I've observed this over and over again, and every time I look at it afresh, I observe the same thing, and this person wanted to argue about how there's no way I can know it's a lie or based in a falsehood. And if you've listened to me long enough, you might have guessed my answer was, okay. What do you mean, okay? I mean, I'm not going to try and convince you that if you have a negative thought about yourself or somebody else, it's a lie or based on a falsehood. I'm just going to ask you to start observing it for yourself. And if it's true that this person is horrible and that, or that you're horrible or that what this person did is causing your upset, then when you apply the reality management worksheet process, it won't have any effect. When you work to dismantle the source of your upset within you, it won't work because the truth will be you know, that you're observing that that person is causing my upset. And if somebody outside of you is actually causing your emotions or your upset, then it doesn't matter what you do inside of you, you won't get rid of it. However, if every time you have an emotional upset, a negative thought pattern or an active negative emotion in your system, and you do a reality management worksheet process, and it shifts the emotional state that you're experiencing, right there in front of your eyes is in the moment demonstration that it was a lie that someone or something outside of you caused your emotions and that the cause of your emotions is only always and forever rooted inside you where you choose to focus your mind energy on which pattern of thoughts and that and nothing else is always the cause of your emotions So it's interesting. We are in this dance together with people and there will be um, plenty of opportunities for us to learn and grow if we keep ourselves in that wide open space and we keep asking to be shown. If on the other hand, we insist that we know and that we're right and other people or the world is wrong, we will not learn. We will not grow. That's just how the system works. You do have the capacity to choose the focus of your conscious awareness in each new present moment. And it will be that focus of the awareness, your conscious awareness in each new present moment that actually creates your experience of life. So if you choose to focus your conscious awareness on thoughts that you know what's right and you know what's wrong and you know who should do what and you know that this person caused your emotion, that will be your experience in life. And you will not have the possibility in that moment. Or the next, to learn until you soften that belief and you open yourself to the possibility of learning something new. That happens when you breathe and soften and start with these basic observations. Number one, I don't know everything. It's a simple observation. It is an accurate observation for any human being on the planet. Number two, based on that first observation, the second observation that's also true, observably true is Whatever it is I think I know is either only partially true or perhaps even completely false. And if I stay in the active presence of those two observations and I stay open, now I've created the conditions for learning. The possibility is there for me to learn something new, for the mind that I walked into that situation with to be expanded and to grow and to stretch. In order for me to do that, I have to be willing to release, to let go of, or to actively put down my beliefs, my thought that I need to be right, my fear of making an error. I have to be able to feel the fear of making an error and do something new anyway. Because if I'm not willing to do something new, I can't ever experience anything new. I will only always and forever, keep repeating the patterns I've already lived. And this, as we talk about, is why Dr. Michael Rice created the Three Early Memories of Conflict exercise and worksheet that's available at whyagain.org. Most of us have no idea, until we start working with tools like this, how we are simply reliving the patterns that we establish in the first few years of our lives. And we can be in our 60s, 70s, or 80s and still just be reliving those patterns with no idea that that's happening. We can create a thought structure and a set of rationalizations that have us believing that we're an adult facing a a current life situation assessing it accurately, and giving an appropriate response. When the actuality can be that we are a wounded 5- or or 12-year-old in the body of an adult that just got, the wounded 5- or 12-year-old mindset just got activated, takes over the body of the adult and reenacts the pattern of behaviors and emotional responses and thoughts that it believes were necessary for it to survive when it encountered that kind of a situation when it was 12 years old or when it interpreted life that way, when it was 12 years old. I am <laughs> probably from the egoic perspective, uh, uh and really enjoying a little bit too much the book by, uh, Richard Schwartz, which, um, as I mentioned before, um, He has a book, the most uh, common book associated with him is the Internal Family Systems book. He created the system of internal family systems, which is a way of conceptualizing working with people in therapy that says, we all have many multiple parts within us, and How those parts interact with each other and whether or not those parts work cooperatively or in competition with each other is a powerful dynamic that determines the quality of our life and relationships. And it's been one of the more well-researched and um, effective theories or techniques for for working in therapy, in, in actual talk therapy for years now for decades now and now he's written a book titled you are the one you've been looking for or you are the one you've been waiting for yeah it's you are the one you've been waiting for and as i mentioned previously he's um He's saying in the first chapter what I've been saying for a lot of years and caught a lot of flack about in different times when I was in a family therapy session or a couples therapy session because I have observed over and over again that if I think somebody else is causing my upset, I'm doomed. So as soon as I'm feeling some kind of an upset, whether it's in a marital relationship or a work setting or a group setting or a school setting or a family therapy setting, the most important thing for me to do is turn the focus inside myself and dismantle that upset. Bring the upset level down low enough so my logic and my emotions are back online. And no amount of working with a therapist or a set of coaches or, you know, the authority I figure at the school to get the bully to change this or that or to get my spouse to do this or that differently. No amount of that is going to produce any lasting change for the better within me. And yet, when we teach people how to recognize how they are creating their own emotional state and teach them the tools for adjusting it, working with it, benefiting from it, using it as good feedback. We empower them to live their lives differently, and it opens the possibility for better relationships in intimate relationships as well as business and family and personal friends relationships. I just mentioned that because I said I would keep people posted it's It's um panning out to be a very solid book. Uh, I, I actually have the the inclination to um, recommend it to a couple a couple of different families that I'm working with that I know have the intellectual capacity to integrate these teachings. So, our call-in number is 563-999-3581. If you call that number and press 1, we can have a conversation. Let us know how we can support you. And or sit tight, and I will move back into reading from Christian Sundberg's book, A Walk in the Physical. This book, for the most part, if I'm understanding him correctly, has been channeled by the, what would now be the physical being, Christian Sundberg, from his guides or teachers or Associates from the non-physical realm. His memory is that when he was in the non-physical, he made the choice to come into physical and to ask to be able to have some in, a level of intelligence and to have some memory of his experience in the non-physical and um, and as we're reading through these essays one of the last ones we read yesterday was a perspective on suffering and how it can be difficult for us in human form to understand that Our higher self, our spirit, our soul, our consciousness may be actively choosing the situations that we find so difficult and that we would label as suffering because of the growth that it we achieve through experiencing these things just the way we're experiencing them. The next essay is essay number 84 and it's titled Evil as Ignorance to Love. And we've read this one before in association with a couple other a couple other chapters in the book. But it bears repeating as far as I'm concerned and the essay reads there is only love. Our minds our western minds have trouble with that there is only love. There is only the flow of creation. There is only the one mind. You could say there is only God. You could say there is only light. Or there's only light and the darkness that happens when we refuse to focus on the light, right? The light isn't, the darkness isn't anything substantive of itself. It's the absence of Illumination. It's the absence of my willingness to look in this area or that area. So the essay reads, there is only love. Though many of us are acting from the darkness of an experience of lack of love, all beings at their core are the light of source. All beings are of love all beings desire love all beings are called to love and it is the ultimate nature of the light within us all sometimes the individual spirit experiences the darkness as a temporary sojourn even though the spirit's true loving nature remains unchanged The spirit's local personality can, through its own experience of being distanced from love, it can fall into a vibration that is experienced as being far from the native source, energy, light, love, creation itself. From that place, the personality can make decisions which create a challenge for others. That darkness is not some separate power or authority, It is merely the natural result of real consciousness exercising imperfect intent whenever it experiences distance from the native true nature, its fundamental essence as love. So in that sense, there is no evil. It's just the light acting from a temporary ignorance of its true nature. The essay goes on and says, the human ego often rejects the idea that there is no evil, in part because our collective consciousness has grown within a history and environment in which it was meaningful to identify one's enemy. But at the most fundamental level, there is no enemy. Ultimately, you have no enemies. Even the most heinous of crimes are acts committed from a place of lack of awareness of love. They're created from the place of lack of awareness of love rather than a place of intrinsic evil. The evildoer needs love even if he or she rejects it. Love is the answer this does not mean that we need to accept acts of cruelty or that we should stand by when intervention is required it simply means that even as we do intervene we can recognize that the one we are intervening with is not a foe in fact this is another embodiment of the light making its way with free will through a very challenging world. Evil comes from human beings as actions only when there is ignorance to love, ignorance to the truth of love, or when there is a perceived separation from love. And having experienced that within ourselves, If we choose to, we can understand the truth of that. Each of us has had times where we have felt hatred and rage and we've had an experience of feeling fearful because we felt we were vulnerable and separated from our source. So if we choose to, we can understand that anybody who is seeking to do us harm is just another being of brilliance and light, just as we are, who's either temporarily forgotten or yet to discover their brilliance. And we can actively choose in the next moment to extend love to them with the understanding that that's what their actions are calling for. The Way of Mastery says... It's possible for you to look at everything that comes out of another person as either the extension of love in form or a cry for help and healing. And there is no other truth in life according to the way of mastery. That's a huge challenge for some of us. And yet... How my life has improved by accepting that template as, as the basis of my observations, of interacting with anyone or anything, the way my life has improved from that can't be spoken in words. The next essay is titled, You Never Left Home. It's essay number 85. And the essay reads, You never left home. Your spirit is still there. The essence of you is still there. While you are there, you've committed a part of yourself into this local, physical, time-bound experience. In order to have this experience, the part of you that came here had to agree to temporarily forget the depth and breadth of what and who you really are. That veil of forgetfulness was necessary for you to have the experience of being a human. After all, how could you experience being human if you fully knew that you were connected to the entire universe and you were connected to that which created the universe? By your forgetting and your highly specialized focus in this reality, you think it's made you less than what you are. It has not changed the fact that you already exist beyond this world as well. Spirit is not some substance that comes and goes. Spirit is the ever-present substrate through which all experience occurs. Spirit does not cease. Spirit can take many shapes, and those shapes may change, and spirit itself is always present as itself. You are spirit, and thus even as you entertain the life before you, your transcendent nature always remains. For those of us who are so deep in the dream, this is an important fact to remember because our believing in the separation of the spirit from the physical has helped to keep us in an experience of distance. Now, as I read that, my mind flashes on how in the in the way of mastery, from very early on, it starts... suggesting some exercises we can do. And one of the exercises it suggests we do is to sit in a chair and just imagine what it would be like to be the Christ. Not to be Jesus, but to be the Christ, the Christ mind, to be connected to the Christ mind, to be the anointed one, to be part of the spark of divine mind. And practice pretending, practice imagining, practice visualizing, practice breathing into, practice watching the thoughts around. The exercise of sitting in a chair as your true self. That's another way to say, as the Christ, that's your true self. Your essence, your consciousness, this higher self, this soul, this spirit, they're talking about, it's all the same, all these different words for the same thing. Your essence, consciousness, who and what you truly are, is something you've forgotten. And so, spiritual teachings like this one and Way of Mastery say, why don't you practice remembering and just see if you like it, see how it expands your perception See how it expands the range of options for a response and behavior pattern when somebody does something that seems to go against you or the way you think life should be. Practice remembering the truth that you're not just a physical being, that you've got this awareness that transcends time and space. The essay goes on and says, as a creative spirit, we form our own reality experience through what we believe about it. This is why we talk so much about canceling our goals, challenging, questioning every thought and belief, learning to live in the question, because when we believe a certain thing... That's the experience we create is shaped by those beliefs, by the thoughts that we pour in, the mind energy that we pour into those thoughts and beliefs. As creative spirit, we form our own reality through what we believe about it. It is reality changing then to wake up to the fact that we are not distant from our true nature or from the larger reality. In fact, we're there right now. You can't possibly be separated from your source. Metaphorically speaking, we are dreaming the physical while asleep in the non-physical. As each individual even gradually wakes up to his or her greater nature, a change occurs in consciousness space, which affects a change in our world. So please be encouraged and be reminded that you, your essence, transcends this rich reality before you. And even if you don't see it or feel it, you are already home. That last half a paragraph is for everybody who has anxiety everybody whose favorite miserable is worry. Be encouraged and be reminded that you, your essence, transcends this rich reality experience that you're having. And even if you don't see it or feel it, you're already home. When this book and others talk about how your purpose for being here is to improve the quality of your intention toward love, and then you have a thought, oh my God, I've spent the last three days forgetting about my spiritual practice and not having a, the best intention. I've screwed it all up and I've slid, slid down to the bottom of the, of the mountain again. None of that is true. None of that is true according to this teaching. You are already home. Your essence never left home. That's the title of this essay. You who you really are, your consciousness, your soul, your spirit, never left its home. Way of Mastery says it slightly differently, but tries to drive home the same point. You cannot be other than you were created to be. The truth that is true always, that the Way of Mastery talks about that phrase over and over again, this is the truth that is true always. You remain as you were created to be. You are a part of the creative flow you cannot be separated from your creator you are light you are love you are part of the one mind you will never meet a stranger everyone that you encounter if you take a breath and get centered before you interact with them and remember this is another part of the divine mind this is another spark of consciousness this is another being of brilliance and light even if they've temporarily forgotten or yet to discover their brilliance and i you all of us are free to interact with each other from that perspective in each new present moment the next essay it might be the last one especially if somebody raises a hand please remember and uh, welcome comments and questions Press 1 on your phone. The next essay, number 86, is titled, Focus Creates Momentum. And the essay reads, what you practice being, you will be. This reality system is a system in which you create momentum for interpretation And over the long term, the reality reinforces back to you a reflection of the momentum you have created. When you judge that reality is a certain way, it will then display itself back to you that way not only in the sense that you interpret what you see in that light, but also in the sense that physical events actually tend to happen differently to reinforce your belief. Simply put, you get what you expect. Our momentum of interpretation is built up from moment to moment. Over the course of a lifetime, it's built up moment to moment. Each moment, then, is an opportunity to redirect our focus to where we prefer. Our direction of focus is powerful. We often forget that as we tend to believe that the external world occurs independently of our interpretation for it or of it. But indeed, we build creative momentum with each moment of our lives. Right now is one of those moments. What momentum are you creating in your life right now? This is right out of an Abraham talk. We have these powerful positive thoughts that have momentum behind them and or these powerful negative thoughts that have momentum behind them. And frequently when people sit in the hot seat and talk to Abraham and say, oh, I have this deep-seated problem, Abraham will interrupt and say, there is no deep-seated. There is only a thought that has been so well rehearsed that it's got a lot of momentum behind it right now. But interrupt the momentum. Take a nap. Go to sleep. Wake up, have a positive thought, and try to maintain that as long as you can. When it turns sour or negative again, take a nap, go to sleep. Wake up, start with the positive, and pour your mind energy into it. In other words, practice being somebody who wants to see, who chooses to believe the positive in life, who chooses to focus on the positive, which is always there. I, sometimes I have, you know, a bloody tongue from sitting in sessions with patients whose lives are so blessed in so many ways and because of their training, because of their childhood traumas and adverse events and they are only focused. On what is in their life that they don't want and they just keep pouring words and sometimes tears and sometimes strong emotions into the focus on these few little things in their life when the rest of their life, you know, Eighty percent of the people on the planet would love to have this life because they 've got enough money they 've got enough clothes they 've got enough food they 're living in a, in a place there is no war zone their physical health is you know uh, it may not be optimal, but it is certainly not they 're not on their deathbed, and they have financial resources and or loving relationship resources and and yet they end up in my office. Uh, stuck in a pattern of focusing on the on the negatives, on what they don't want, and Abraham would say, um, "That's just a lot of momentum for that negative thought." And there's always more good going on here than there is bad. So, and Diedrich Wolzak would step in and say, "Choose again." The Course in Miracles would say, "Choose love instead of fear." Of course, your miracles would go so far as to say that's the definition of a miracle, is a place where someone has chosen love instead of fear, moved from fear to love. Not only does it change your perception of the life events that are in your life now, it will also have an effect and begin to change the flow of life and actually have an effect on who and what shows up. Michael Rice talks about this as though the world is is energy and it works in a law of resonance. And he talks about if you're sitting at a piano and you have a tuning fork that's tuned the same as middle C and the piano is well-tuned and you strike the middle C tuning fork, the piano string that's going to vibrate the loudest and most purely is the one that's tuned exactly like that tuning fork. There might be some residual on some of the other strings, but the one that's going to resonate most strongly and loudly is the one that's tuned just to the same frequency. And so, you know, when you bang a middle C tuning fork near a well-tuned piano, it causes an energy exchange with the strings in that piano and it starts to vibrate, it starts to move. Energy is always in motion. And Michael Rice says, and so in the world of animate objects, in the world of people and animals and things, this law of resonance doesn't just cause motion, it causes motion toward that which is of the same vibration. And so he, he has this way of talking about how if I hold an energy and keep pouring my mind energy into thoughts that the world is a dangerous place and I always get abused and I will actually set up an energy field and a resonance that draws people into my life to play out that pattern of abuse And it's not as a punishment, because from the bigger picture perspective, it's really most useful as an alarm to wake me up to the fact that, hey, Tim, guess what happens? The more you sit and complain about what you have in your life that you don't like and what you don't have that you want, you end up having more situations that evolve or express around you that take more of the things that you want away from you and bring more of the things that you don't want into your life and you have more you know if you sit around and practice your favorite miserable emotion you get to have life experiences that resonate more of that physical emotion or that miserable emotion and you could look at that and say i'm being punished this is bad karma god is punishing me for being a bad person or I'm having to pay the price of the sins of my fathers and forefathers. Or you could also look at it from the perspective of having been exposed to tools and the law of resonance and understand that a very useful application of that negative thought or emotion is to create a relationship toward that negative experience as though that's an alarm system that's there to wake me up and if i turn the focus inside myself and gently lovingly speak to myself and ask to be shown how am i creating this emotion what is the message in this trauma and drama for me How does this situation contain a lesson I need to learn to move to the next level? How might this situation, if I stay open and loving and embracing of all the myriad possibilities of interpretation of this moment, how is this situation going to work out better than I could have imagined? Mostly because I'll have my vision 360 degree vision, wide open and clear, and I'll see where there's a doorway to step through that leads me to a better interaction pattern with the things and, and people around me. And we've given examples of this before, and, and I, I won't go back through them, but it, it is directly observable that the more angry or the higher intensity emotion I feel, whether it's a negative emotion t- to my judgment or a positive emotion, the higher the intensity emotion I feel, the more restricted my field of view gets, the more tunnel vision I, I'm experiencing, the more myopic my vision is, the the more things I miss because of my intensity of emotional energy. and the, And what that does... To my perception and my focus so if i want to have the clearest vision possible if i want to see a myriad of possible opportunities i need to dismantle the negative emotions i need to go inside myself and focus on joy and aliveness and gratitude and compassion and open the door for bliss and when that happens my field of vision broadens And I start to see possibilities I cannot see or even imagine if I'm stuck in the cycle of pouring my mind energy into thoughts that generate rage or fear or sadness or hurt. At least that's what I've observed time and time again over the last 18, 19, 20, 25 years, however you want to mark the passage of time since I've been exposed to these tools and these observations. Our momentum of interpretation is built up moment to moment over the course of a lifetime. Each moment, then, becomes an opportunity to change the course. Each moment is an opportunity to redirect our focus to what we prefer. I saw this morning a a quote from Maya Angelou that I thoroughly enjoyed and it was about how she's had a lot of clouds in her life and yet she's also had a lot of rainbows in those clouds. And when she goes to give a speech or get on stage when she stands up to translate something for people when she goes to teach her classes when she goes to direct a movie she brings everyone that's ever been kind to her with her in that moment she she asks them whether they're black white asian spanish speaking native american gay or straight everybody she says come with me i'm going on stage i need you come with me I need you now, even though if you're long dead. So she says, I never feel that I have no help. I've had rainbows in my clouds. And the thing to do, it seems to me, is to prepare myself so that I can be a rainbow in someone else's cloud. Someone who may not look like me, may not call God the same name, may not call God at all if they call God. I may not eat the same dishes or prepare food the same way they do. I may not dance their dances or speak their language. But I can be a blessing to somebody. If I change my focus, if I focus on the cloud and I say I don't want clouds, I want a sunny day, it's almost impossible for me to be a blessing to somebody else or to myself in that moment. But if I go into a situation and I see a cloud and I remember, hey, there have been a lot of clouds in my life and there have been a lot of people who have been blessings to me through difficult times and I call on them, I call on my memory of them, I don't ever feel alone. So that's my offering for today. I will remind us all that we come from love. We're made of this stuff we call love. We actually are love and everything else is false. I will be here again tomorrow and then recorded shows the Pierre Pratervan new interview will be on, on available on Friday in this hour. And I'll welcome Jeannie Rice.
1: Thank you, Doctor Tim.
2: Appreciate you. You're very welcome and deserving. Have a wonderful show.
1: Thanks. So welcome, everybody, to the second hour of MindShifters Radio, and today is Wednesday, May the 17th, 2023, and our calling number is 563-999-3581, and press 1, and that puts you into queue to talk to us and we'd like to hear your comments and questions, because that makes this your show. And we'll give Michael a moment to dial in, decided that uh, we would just read a little bit each day out of The Untethered Soul by Michael Singer. And uh, I've also got a guided journal that I haven't gotten into yet, so I need to do that. I'll probably have some insights from that one as well. But... Um, Then after I read from it, then Michael is giving the comparison of of how it fits with the work that we are doing here. And uh, I invite you to go to the website and look around. I have now changed the uh, schedule it still had uh, that we were going to do Heartland in 2023, and we are not. So I've changed that. I think I made all the other corrections. We've got uh, the book club from this last week, from last Thursday, the 11th, where they covered Chapter 3. And that's really interesting and would be a good study if you have the book, or you can get it online for free. Um, You can download it or just read it on our website. But um, they're going chapter at a time. In the previous, when they started, why is this happening to me again in the book club, They were doing like three chapters at a time, and this time they're going into a little more depth, and they're doing one chapter at a time. So you can go to our website, and under Schedule, click on Global Online Book Club, and there will be the archived shows, and you'll see that there's Chapter 1, Chapter 2, Chapter 3. So you can go back and, and listen to them read through the chapter and have the discussion on the meaning of each of those chapters. So I invite you to do that and participate. And I spoke to uh, a lady this morning and suggested, you know, she was interested in this work going to some mental health workers. And I said, well, I suggest that they listen to the free three-hour Why Is This Happening to Me Again workshop that's under Schedule. Schedule and then click on that and listen to three hours of the Why workshop. And that's going over the worksheet, the wake-up sheet. And I said, then after they listen to that, then have them get in touch with us, you know, if they want to do an interview or something with Michael. So hopefully we'll hear something from that and take it a little further. So Michael has joined us. And do you want to say anything before I start reading, Michael?
3: Oh, why don't you just go for it, sweetie?
1: All right. So picking up where we left off yesterday, and this is in the chapter called Your Inner Roommate. And... To attain true inner freedom, you must be able to objectively watch your problems instead of being lost in them. No solution can possibly exist while you're lost in the energy of the problem. Everyone knows you can't deal well with the situation if you're getting anxious, scared, or angry about it. The first problem you have to deal with is your own reaction. You will not be able to solve anything outside until you own how the situation affects you inside. Problems are generally not what they appear to be. When you get clear enough, you will realize that the real problem is that there is something inside of you that can have a problem with almost anything. The first step is to deal with that part of you. This involves a change from outer solution consciousness to inner solution consciousness. You have to break the habit of thinking that the solution to your problems is to rearrange things outside. The only permanent solution to your problems is to go inside and let go of the part of you that seems to have so many problems with reality. And once you do that, you can be clear enough to deal with what's left. There really is a way to let go of the part of you that sees everything as a problem. It may seem impossible, but it's not. There is a part of your being that can actually abstract from your own melodrama. You can watch yourself be jealous or angry. You don't have to about it or analyze it. You can just be aware of it. Who is it that sees all of this? Who notices the changes going on inside? When you tell a friend, every time I talk to Tom, it gets me so upset, how do you know it gets you upset? You know that, it and their wording, of course, is is off, but you know that it gets you upset because you're in there and you see what's going on in there. There's a separation between you and the anger or the jealousy. You are the one who's in there noticing these things. Once you take that seat of consciousness, you can get rid of those personal disturbances. You can start by watching. Just be aware that you are aware of what is going on in there it's easy. What you'll notice is that you're watching a human being's personality with all its strengths and weaknesses. It's as though there's somebody in there with you. You might actually say you have a roommate. If you would like to meet your roommate, just try to sit inside yourself for a while in complete solitude and silence. You have the right. It's your inner domain. But instead of finding silence, you're going to listen to insistent chatter. Why am I doing this? I have more important things to do. This is a waste of time. There's nobody in here but me. What's all this all about? And so forth. Right on cue, there's your roommate. You may have a clear intention to be quiet inside, but your roommate won't cooperate. And it's not just when you try to be quiet. It has something to say about everything you look at. I like it. I don't like it. This is good. That's bad. It just talks and talks you don't generally notice because you don't step back from it. You're so close that you don't realize that you're actually hypnotized into listening to it. Basically, you're not alone in there. Two different aspects of your inner being. The first is you, the awesome, or the awareness, the witness, the center of your willful intentions. And the other is that which you watch. Problem is, The part that you watch never shuts up. If you could get rid of that part, even for a moment, the peace and serenity would be the nicest vacation you've ever had.
3: And when you first enter into that practice, you know, we've spoken often about becoming the thinker apart from the thought the feeler apart from the feelings, the actor apart from the actions, be the observer, realize that you're not all the stuff that's happening inside of you, and then recognize there's a way to collapse that game. There's a way to put an end to it. You know, if I define a word as a tool of communication, and obviously a tool of communication is something to use when there's an interaction between two people that's a reasonable definition for everybody, then I just invite you to notice that there are words running in your head right now. And you're not speaking them to anyone else. So the question, this comes out of our communication that you hear what I think I said workshop, is who's in there with you? Who's talking to who? Who's giving meaning to everything you see? And of course, if you go to the Course in Miracles, one of the early lessons in the course is, I have given this everything it means i have given it every meaning it has for me once i realize that and if i'm hooked and stuck in highly charged emotional meanings and i live in denial denial once again being thinking or speaking as though something outside of you is the cause of what's moving inside of you there's the one of the earliest places to interrupt the insanity of the non-being mind. As Michael says in his book, that thing's just going to go on and on and on and on and on and on. When you get a moment's reprieve from it, it is refreshing. But at first, it's only just for most people. It's only just for a second or two. And then that thing just starts right up again as you practice forgiveness as you practice collapsing the whole internal process and bringing the underlying energetic dynamics involved in that internal process forward in the presence of love there is a transmutation of those energetic patterns now one of the things that you know in our culture most people want is instant you know they want instant food they want instant this instant that and they want instant healing so someone who spent 10 20 30 40 50 60 70 80 years listening to and engaging in that internal dialogue in insanity hostility and fear and whenever it moves they enter into a conversation about somebody else. Again, that's our definition of denial. By virtue of being born into the world, most everyone by about the age of four is a card-carrying member of the one-world universal religion of blame. What's happening inside of me is somebody else's fault. It's the biggest lie that's ever been told. What's happening inside of me inside of me because it's inside of me. And you'll notice if you listen carefully to the projection language that most of the world uses as well, yeah, well, you're upset about that, right? You know, how did that make you feel? Excuse me. You've never been upset about anything in your life. You just have upset, and when the upset's triggered, off goes the mind. And because you're a card-carrying member of the one world religion, universal religion of blame then your conversation's about who it is that's the reason today that this untoward energy is moving inside of me. The blame game. It's always somebody else's fault. Now, when you ask yourself the question, how long has this been going on? Remember that song? How long has this been going on? Generations and generations and generations. If you look at one of the historical reference points in our culture, the ancient scriptures, you hear the starting of a story, starting in story form, of the beginning of human life. And within a very short time, I don't know that, uh, I've never really looked at it with this eye, but within a very short period of time, not sure exactly how many hours or days this was going on before this blame started, but you'll remember this guy named Adam confronts God with a problem in his life. And notice that it's, This woman, well, that story's been going on for a long time. And then, in case that blame isn't deep enough, he has a second layer of blame. This woman that you gave me, that's how long the conversation has been going on in humanity. And I just invite you to look around. I've done surveys. You know, when we, especially we do our uh, communications, you hear what I think I said workshop, I've asked hundreds and hundreds of people around the globe when we do that workshop, how many lived with a parent who, when they were in upset, languaged responsibly that the upset was something that was theirs? We In that workshop, we delineate between what we call projection language, Projection language is where one implies or specifically states that something outside is the cause of what's moving inside. So, And that sounds like, you made me mad, you made me sad, you hurt me, you're the reason I failed at that, and on and on and on goes the conversation. And then, so that's projection communication. And projection communication is where one has a reality structure, a construct in their minds called perception, and they describe that perception as though it is caused by something out there. Responsibility communication, an individual has a perceptual construct moving in them, And they language with the awareness that they're not describing something out there, but rather they're describing an internal condition, an internal process that's happening. More like, wow, some anger really came up in me when you said thus and so. Gee, you know, when you did that, a lot of hurt started to move in me. And so I've asked thousands of people the question, How many were brought up with the parent, the father, the mother that spoke in terms that held themselves accountable and instead of using projection language and projection communication, actually used responsibility communication? In all the years that I've been doing that, and I I probably did my first... Communication, did you hear what I think I said, workshop? Mm, I don't know, maybe 30 years ago? In all the years I've been doing that, I've had two people in my audience that put their hand up and said, yes, I was raised with that father. One of them... We were actually, Jeannie and I were on a yacht. We had a great invitation. We were in Miami, and there was a fellow who's was a multimillionaire, a big yacht, and he had some friends. He'd come across this work, and he asked if we'd come out with them and present the Y Workshop, which we did. And when I asked that question, there was a young man who put his hand up, and he shared with the, with me the fact that now that his father, utilize that method of communication. His father had studied with me about 25 years earlier. His mother was there, too, but he didn't put his hand up for He had a mother who spoke and used responsibility communication, but his father did. And then the second time we had that happen... That was before I met Jeannie. Oh, no, no, you were there, Jeannie. You were there for both times. You were on that yacht with me. And the other time we were out in Washington State, and there was a young woman in the audience who put her hand up in response to that question. And I was kind of surprised at what all she shared. And her father, too. She referred to her father. Her father, too, had taken and dealt with this work. She was, I don't know, I think maybe around 25 when we were out there, somewhere between 25 and 30, probably, years she'd been circling around the sun. And when she was, I think about 13, her father had come to Heartland to be on the support team for the summer. And he brought his daughter with him. And she shared in that, no, actually, I think she was 11, as I'm recalling now as I'm thinking about what she shared. I believe she was 11 when she came to Heartland. She was there for the whole summer. She was actually a physician. And uh, she shared that the reason that she'd gone into medicine was because that summer at Heartland, she healed one of the most important issues of her life, And that inspired her to move into the realm of healing. Her father and her mother had separated shortly after she was born. And she was raised believing that it was the fact that she came into the family that they separated. And therefore, it was their fault. And her mother was quite clear with her that it was her fault. So she was 11, I'm pretty sure. And what she shared, this was when we were out in, out west, and asked that question, what she shared was that having all those years told it was her fault, that she was able to heal that summer the belief that had been planted in her that it was her fault that her parents separated. And letting go of that was like a major load lifted in her life. And that she had a father that when he spoke, spoke in terms of, responsibility communication instead of projection communication now most of the world is stuck in that game they don't even know there's such a thing as responsibility communication and they don't even have a clue and one of the things that I did when I was writing why is this happening to me again I went to a large bookstore I did this several times and I just sat and read different books by different people in the field of healing from the point of view of either a psychologist or psychiatrist or minister or counselor. And virtually every one of those books, sooner or later, as they're talking about the dialogue they have with their client, they would ask one of the biggest mistaken questions that any psychologist, any healer, any doctor, any psychiatrist any minister, any priest, any rabbi, the biggest mistaken question that could possibly be asked, and that was sooner or later, you know, go read some books in, in that field, and you'll see that just about every one of them, in fact, I never found one that didn't ask the question. Well, when that happened, Bill or Mary Jane, when that happened, how did that make you feel? What we now know is a person who would ask that question has no clue about how reality works, no clue about how perception is constructed, and certainly no clue what projection is. Most of that field defines projection as taking something that's inside of us and putting it outside of us. And that's not projection. That's externalization projection is the act of taking thought disorders or actually anything and constructing pictures in your mind about it so when the mind generates a reality that reality comes from brain cells it's projected from a complex of thoughts if it's a reality that we feel good with that like we're rocking and our physiology turned on and going, then you know that the complex of thoughts involved in that is based in love. If the reality is one that's a downer, a bummer, I'm depressed, I'm sad, I'm afraid, I'm pointing my finger everywhere, then we know that that projected construct of the mind comes from a complex of thought disorders. That as long as they're projected, so you take a thought sorter, it's resonated into activity by someone, and you build your brain's image of that someone out of that thought. That's projection. The mind has this unique capability, and that is it. It literally takes digital information and turns it into pictures. Just like your TV, a digital signal comes in, it goes into the TV, and bingo, you've got a picture. So nothing but information goes in the back of that TV. There are no pictures in the signal that goes in. But there's a converter that converts that information into pictures. The human mind is exactly the same. It converts information into pictures. And every picture tells you first about the content of your own mind. But when somebody says, how did that make you feel, the whole process gets turned around. The question rather would be, well, gee, when that happened, what came up for you? What did your mind project into its construct of the moment, its reality? And if someone describes something based in some form of pain or trauma, then you know that person has some form of pain or trauma within them that needs to be faced and removed, forgiven, Remembering that the word forgive means remove. It does not mean to let one off the hook. The whole idea, and virtually the whole world is practicing forgiveness, or what they call forgiveness, In a totally and completely errant form, I'll let you off the hook because I've projected this into my brain's image of you, and therefore you must be the problem in my life. Well, yes, I have been through this problem 87 different times with 42 different people, but it has to be your fault. Now, the same as last year it was his fault, and the year before it was her fault, and the year before it was their fault, and the year before it was, and the year before, and the year before, and the year before. Oh, golly, when does it end? it ends when you actually understand that nothing makes you feel anything. Feelings are an indicator, a signal sent out by a cell that tells the thinker of the thoughts what the quality of the thoughts are that they're thinking. Now, if you go into the cell biologists, well, let's back up one more step. 2,000 years ago, the opening words in the book of John, do not say in the beginning was the Word and the Word became flesh. They knew the neuroscience 2,000 years ago. That's not what it said. What it said is in the beginning was the mind energy and the mind energy became flesh. Now, come forward 2,000 years, let's go into Bruce Lipton's uh, cell biologist laboratory and watch him perform the experience. And he'll show you that when you think a thought, that thought produces a neuropeptide, an actual molecule in your structure. And that molecule circulates around in your structure until it finds a cell with a receptor site that matches. It lands on the cell and inserts itself in the cell. And if we were sitting inside the cell waiting for that insertion to happen, and we watch that neuropeptide come into the cell, what we would call what we observed coming into the cell would be chemistry. mind energy becoming flesh. Now, if the feel the emotion that goes along with a piece of mind energy is one based in trauma, what do you suppose the cell is communicating to us? Literally, I'm offering that when that neuropeptide hits the cell, the cell responds with information about the quality of the neuropeptide. doesn't feel good. It doesn't belong in your structure. But most people having no clue that their mind energy is becoming physiology, is becoming flesh, most people get lost in the false pictures their minds generate about how it's all everybody else's fault. So this man Yeshua, 2,000 years ago, had a solution for this dilemma. He showed people exactly how to collapse They projected that people held, how to access the unconscious part of the mind involved in that process, and how to heal it. This was not about theology. The reason it stuck around for so long is it works. Now, people occasionally luck on to something that works. And it'll work today, but it won't work tomorrow. And it won't work the next day. And they luck into something the next day, and it works. And then it won't work, and then it will work. And then it happens, and then it doesn't. What Yeshua offered 2,000 years ago was a tool that if you applied it persistently and consistently, especially when you were in pain, you would eradicate the pain from your life. It's a signal there's a thought disorder active in your mind, and that thought disorder hitting the cell, that literal mind energy hitting the cell, causes what we call feelings or emotions, pardon me, more correctly. And those... Emotions that are painful are signaling destructive changes within your own cellular structure. You'll remember that we've reviewed several times the definition of the word sin as an archery term. And when somebody fired at the target and missed the bullseye on the archery range, the scorekeeper would yell, Sin! When you're off the mark. When they said the wages of sin is death, they were saying, folks, if you put destructive mind energy, toxic mind energy, into your system, your system's going to warn you, warn you with some sort of untoward emotional response. If you stop pretending that emotional response is caused by something outside of you, and start to recognize that that emotional response is caused by what you're doing to yourself internally then you'll be able to address and rid yourself of the mind energy that's destroying physiology. Because when they said the wages of sin is death, it was not some kind of theological threat that God's going to get you for your sins. It was simply a statement about how your self-physiology works. You put enough disintegrative energy into those cells, yes, there's going to be screaming, raging pain as the cells deteriorate and die. Get enough cells dying and you die. It's just how it works. So I hope that fits and makes sense for everybody. if you have a question or a thought for us, our call-in number, if you're on one of those stations especially where we can't see you, is 563-999-3581. If you call that number, you'll be listening to the show. And then if you push 1, you'll be in line to talk with us. Let's have a conversation. How can we support you? What's on your mind? Miss Jeannie? Do have anything happening in the chat room or anybody doing anything no, in the, all, uh, or have a hand up?
1: It is all quiet. So if someone presses one, you're first in line. And we have a lot of people on the switchboard today. So come on, press one. We've got oh, somebody Cody.
3: say hello. Does Does everything that I just said make sense? And if it doesn't, Call me on it. Let's see if we can open up some discussion and get some refinement here. Is there anything we can support you or fill in any holes that will help to make more sense of this?
1: We got a hand up.
3: Hey, awesome. Let's say hello.
1: 541. It's Miss Celinda. Hello.
4: Hello. How are you?
3: Good. Welcome, young lady. How are you? We haven't heard your voice in a while.
4: Yes, it's uh garden time now and I find myself having to make choices of do I listen to it all or do I get in my garden and of course the garden tends to win a lot of times because it's got a no, tongue, hanging out. <laughs> tongue hanging out at the moment. We just <laughs> went from winter to summer here. So anyway, I just wanted to thank you for reading Michael Singer's uh chapters. And uh, I take it that you have that book club in your um, information. Uh, how to sign up if a person's interested? The well, we're not doing the Michael Singer in the book club, but
1: um, the information oh. on on that's uh, the why is this happening to me again? That the global book club is going chapter by chapter. Oh, good. Okay. Of, of my then- yeah.
4: Yeah, right. Oh, good. Well, I'm glad you're reading Michael Singer, because I'm finding that Aramaic Gospel, maybe not in the correct languaging, but seems to me, from my perception, to be popping up in every single spiritual path. just have to dig sometimes to find it. <laughs> when, when you have the eyes to so see and
3: the ears to hear.
4: Yeah, and it's just like there's so much more in common than there is in in uh, conflict between religions, and I think those conflicts are all self-generated anyway, um, that it's nice to know and to see and to feel this connection with someone of another faith, of faith, because you have connected with their heart energy, and there's... Their spirit, and it's uh, really beautiful when that happens. Sweet. I don't remember the name of the book anymore, but right after two,
3: your voice has disappeared, Celinda? I, Selinda,
4: I said, you can get back okay. closer
3: to your phone again.
4: Okay, good. Um, that there was a book that came out that was written by three women, and it was a Jewish lady an Islamic lady and a Christian lady who happened to meet at the bus stop to go to work right after 9-11, and they started talking with each other. They didn't even know each other, and they wrote this book. And it was just precisely that theme of not understanding each other and jumping to conclusions and making assumptions and um, you know, getting stuck in your own cultural languaging and things like that. But when we go to the heart, uh, we can find the truth. Spirit, I think, resides in the heart. Not the heart of the unconscious, but our heart of our higher self. The love heart of all it is. But anyway, that was. I'm just glad you're reading Michael Singer and making comments about it. I appreciate that. Cool. Awesome.
3: Anything else exciting in your world?
4: Other than I've got a gazillion daikon radish seedlings that I'm going to take home and probably stir-fry <laughs> As I got a little uh-huh. excited when I seeded last fall. Yeah. So that ought to be interesting. And some of so my
0: you, you onion butts
4: that I put in are making green tops already, so I'm cutting them down seeing if they'll come back again rather than just making seed all at once. See what happens.
3: So you put daikon radish in as a cover crop or a winter cover crop? Is that what I understand yeah, you're saying? I think,
4: I, I think so, but I'm not sure because it's now coming up. Well, <laughs> no, I guess so you must I have put know. it in
2: there if it's coming up.
4: I'm sure I We'd put in there. I had a whole lot of daikon seed because I – have um, I do sprouts, and that's my radish that I use in my sprouts, so,
3: yeah.
4: Right. I probably well, we did
3: that two years ago, and we had a crop, I mean, we had Dicone radishes that were a foot and a half long, and they're great for opening up the soil and opening air pathways and making room for worms,
4: all kinds of neat things, so... Yeah, I'm sure that was a factor in my going ahead uh, and planting them so thickly. But I may not get bottoms because I planted them too co- close, but the greens are good because we're shy on greens right now.
3: Right. Well, it's good to leave them in the ground because when they they uh, start to digest themselves, they create great food for the microorganisms in the soil and uh, and help open those uh Channels for holding water and building soil, and all kinds of neat stuff. So they're they're pretty awesome
4: crops. And then plant. the next year, being a biennial, if you leave the roots in the ground, the ones that are still alive will um, put up a seed head, and you'll have your seeds. Nice. For the following cool. year. <laughs> right. Well, take care and carry on, dear heart. You're doing great. All
3: right. Lots of love. Blessings. Same to you. Bye-bye. Darren, let's have a conversation. What's on your mind? Is all this making sense to you? And we bring gardens into the, the conversation on a fairly regular basis because without actual food going into your structure, you can't be healthy. And it's close to impossible. Some areas of the country, you can actually buy food. But most of the country, what is being sold was grown on dirt. And you can't grow food on dirt. They call it food. It's not food. Because without life and soil, like, no. It's interesting, commercial farmers believe that, well, one of the things you have to do is you have to put 10 gallons of glyphosate on every gallon, or probably on every acre of land to kill everything that's in the soil, absolutely sterilize the soil. So let's see, now we've killed everything in the soil, now we have dirt, and we're going to see if we can get life from that dirt. Does that make any sense? no sense whatsoever. However, it makes a whole lot of money for chemical companies. We, was it back in the 50s? We started to pound our brains with better living through chemistry. Oh, wow. What a mess that's been. So one of the things we want to reinforce for everybody is you have to eat. Food only grows on soil. If you can't find a farmer that's growing actual food, then better start growing your own because what's coming out of that grocery store is not, I mean, it looks like food. And maybe sometimes smells like food and sometimes even tastes like food. But like, for instance, you know, when we started growing food here on our property about four years ago, we had tomatoes that I hadn't tasted a tomato like that in three decades or more. And so You know, when the crop runs out, well, we'll go buy some. It's hard to find anything that even starts to taste like a tomato. Why is that? Because it's grown on dirt and it's not a tomato. Why is it like a red rubber ball? Why will it rot before it ripens? Because it's not food. It's fake. (laughs) You know, they talk about fake news. Well, fake food came long before fake news. And it's interesting, you know, to go into a restaurant and and to try to explain to someone who's in the so-called food business that you actually want food. Like, you know, do you have butter, actual butter? Oh, yes, we have butter. And now comes the hydrogenated fat, deadly stuff. So understanding where our food comes from and whether or not it is actually food, and if not, then developing soil and growing food becomes an important part of the process of healing, because your forgiveness work will not be effective if you are nutritionally insolvent. People will run in circles and spirals and spirals and spirals and and do the same piece of work over and over and over again if they're not nutritionally solvent. So it's all part of this whole process. When they said holy, they weren't talking about being down on your knees with your hands folded. They were saying you've got to do every level of the energy system correctly in order to get the optimal possible outcome. So that's what we're here to support, and that's why that becomes part of the conversation as well. And if you're out there in listener land, on one of those stations where we can't see you in our control panel. Our call-in number is 563-999-3581. Call that number. You're listening to the show. Which one? And we're having a conversation. So, Miss Jeannie, what be happening? Nothing.
1: Everybody's just sitting there listening.
3: Oh, quiet. Well, somebody push one. Let's talk about it. We have a hand up.
1: And it is Miss Julie from... Well, I would say Oregon, but where are you from now, France? <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm from Oregon right now, and I would have pushed my number one sooner, but I'm I'm timing something that I only have 40 seconds left for, and then I have to do something. So I apologize, but I'm looking forward to the Mind Shifter um, session this Saturday, and um, everything you were talking about today was very helpful to me a reminder, um, and I just thank you over and over again in my heart, both of you, all of you in the family, you know, these roots, and I know, um, oh, I keep wanting to say Cecilia, but that's not her name, the other 541 lady, Celinda.
3: Celinda, Celinda, oh, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. She, you know, she's she's starting to draw these lines, or has been for a while, of how everybody's Spiritually speaking the same language, um, different books, different people. But I still really prefer the acknowledging of the roots. And um, it's good to hear that the people are picking up on it here and there. Beyond capitalism, beyond writing a book and making a buck, you know. So I acknowledge what she said also. And I added my... my my own personal uh, projection (laughs) that I've needed to be from the roots of what Jesus taught, and I think it's great that it's coming forth now.
3: Hmm. I'm with you on that. How's your dad doing?
0: He's fine. He's the same. Um, I haven't gotten to see him yet. I'm emptying out my storage unit first, but I'm in touch, so I know that, you know, there's nothing dire or changing or, you know, getting worse.
3: Right. Um, oh, good. Good. Well,
0: so, sending yeah. uplifting
3: energy in his direction.
0: Thank you. Thank you. I know you say that with a lot of compassion. Thank you. So, um, sorry I have to go, but I do. And I hope someone else will Enjoy come on. Enjoy your and day. Awesome. Yes. All right. All right. We'll see you thank on you, Saturday. You Remember too. to
3: get your mind shifter selected Friday evening and do some writing.
0: That's right. And... It's 11 o'clock Eastern Time, right?
3: Yep. Eastern Time, yes. Mm -hmm. It'll be 8 o'clock out there.
0: 8 a.m. for Pacific. Yeah, okay. See you then.
3: All right. See you then. Bye-bye. And that being mentioned, if there's anybody out there that would like to join us, the uh, second Saturday and Sunday... Third, pardon me, yeah, we changed it. it, was second. Third, Saturday, and Sunday of every month at 11 o'clock, 11 a.m. Eastern Time, we engage in Mind Shifters and Stillpoint Breathing Club. So anybody who'd like to join us for that, you can do one single session where you'll learn the Stillpoint Breathing process and have an experience of it. You uh, receive a couple of videos on the Mind Shifters process and how it works. And so Saturday we actually step in, do a little process work, and then go into the still point, breathing, and then on Sunday, we'll step back into, okay, what's moved, what's surfaced, what's uh, what needs to be processed, and do a question and answer sharing session. So if you'd like to join us for that, again, you can do one session, or we have a three-session package. You can do three monthly sessions, or there's an annual sign-up if you'd like to join us for that. That's going to happen this Saturday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time. If you're interested in joining us and you're not a member of the uh, the group yet, I'll drop Jeannie an email. Or if you've got my number, drop me a text or call me. Jeannie's email is j-e-a-n-i-e at whyagain.org. So if you drop Jeannie an email letting us know your name and your phone number, that you're interested in joining us for that session, then we'll... Be in touch and get you set up to do it. The ever-expanding mind shifters list sent out to you. I think we're up to, what, uh, 17 different sets of mind shifters now, Janie? I need to look. I think it is 17 or maybe 19. In any event, if you want to join us, drop a note. Other than that, if you're out there in listener land, how can we support you? What's on your mind? 563 999 three five eight one. Call that number. You're listening to the show directly. Push one. And we're having a conversation. Don't wait till the last minute. Push the button now.
1: We now have seventeen sections.
3: Seventeen, okay.
1: Yeah. Cool. We have twelve minutes left. How about I read another little section out of this?
3: Oh sure. Let's go for it.
1: So imagine what it would be like if you didn't have to bring this thing with you everywhere you go, talking about the roommate. Real spiritual growth is about getting our, getting out of this predicament. But first you have to realize that you've been locked in there with a maniac. In any situation or circumstance, your roommate can suddenly decide, I don't want to be here. I don't want to do this. I don't want to talk to this person. And you would immediately feel tense and uncomfortable. Your roommate can ruin anything you're doing without a moment's notice. It could ruin your wedding day or even your wedding night. That part of you can ruin anything and everything, and it generally does. You buy a brand-new car, and it's beautiful, but every time you drive it, your inner roommate finds something wrong with it. The mental voice keeps pointing out every little squeak, every little vibration, until eventually you don't even like the car anymore. Once you see what this could do to your life, you are ready for spiritual growth. You're ready for real transformation when you finally say, look at this thing. It's ruining my life. I'm trying to live a peaceful, meaningful existence, but I feel like I'm sitting on top of a volcano. At any moment, this thing can decide to freak, close down, or fight with what's happening. One day, it likes someone. The next day, it decides to pick on everything they do. My life is a mess just because this thing that lives in here with me has to make a melodrama out of everything. Once you've seen this and you learn to no longer identify with your roommate, you're ready to be free of yourself.
3: So the conversations to go on inside of people's heads are myriad. And what resides there is a whole history, literally, the history of the whole bloodline, and in particular, for those who live in things like, you know, instant anger or fear, depression, it's all a product of thought disorders. And each thought disorder needs to be uncovered and removed. Again, the mechanism of removal is forgiveness. You'll notice that unless you're just a generally miserable person, you're never upset with anybody when they're doing everything you want them to do, when they're fulfilling all the goals you have for them. Notice, you know, everybody's cool. But the minute either you or someone else violates a goal you hold for you or that someone else, notice the mind starts to project it's upset into its brain's image of you or that other. And it doesn't discriminate. You know, whatever any object of attention will do. If a goal is violated, then the mind will take its unresolved dynamics and put them into the, the brain's image of whoever that someone is. And so, recognizing that, you realize that the goal is the key way into healing what's going on in the unconscious mind. You remember in the ancient scriptures they said, take care of the heart, for out of it are the issues in life. That word heart in our modern updated language would be the unconscious. You must forgive from your heart. Read that, remove from your unconscious, the wrongs of your brother. The things that you put into your brain's image of your brother have to remove from your physiology, from your unconscious. Who'd have thunk it, (laughs) the way the Greeks translated those ancient teachings, that this man Yahshua had the keys to the unconscious mind and exactly how to heal it precisely how to heal it. And those teachings have been in too many cases disappeared and hidden by people who refused to either understand or do their own work. Remember that passage we've talked about before where a group of disciples are with Yeshua and basically they ask the question, what do we need to do to please the Creator? And he tells them, And half of his audience, literally half of his disciples, get up and leave and never come back. And they whine on their way out the door, too hard a saying. Some people think it's too hard to clean up their own minds, to clean up their own past, to clean up the generational patterns. There's nothing hard about it. It's actually very simple, though not always easy. In the Aramaic language, the word that's been translated as forgive is the word shabag or shabak, and it literally translates to cancel. This is where the goals become the key way into the unconscious, because the goal is the driver for perceptual rest and serenity, or... depending on the cause of the mind, will just as happily bring forward trauma, depression, pain, rage, fear, and guilt. And it will bring forward whatever's in the generations. Due to the word generation being genari, which means cause. Causes are held within the mind, and that includes the causes unresolved of pain in the genes. So it behooves us to understand how to collapse the surface mind's projected images and get down to the root of the real thing and begin to clean that out. And that's what happens with first century Aramaic forgiveness. It just You just start to clean it out. Getting rid of it. So, what is it that you need to face in your own world that you need to get rid of? what are, What are you working on? Look at the situation the circumstance. Identify the goal that's driving your perception at any given moment, especially in moments of pain. Cancel that goal. Having canceled the goal or removed the driver for pained perception, the pained perception collapses. You now have access to your own unconscious dynamics. And you don't need to figure anything out to do it. Take the tool. You know, if you're not using the forgiveness processes yet, please go to our website, whyagain.org. And in the upper left-hand corner of the homepage, there's a link that says start here. Click that link and start to work through it. You can do the worksheet live on the website, download any number of different versions of the worksheet from the website. And or you can go to your app store on your phone and type in the words Heartland, H-E-A-R-T-L-A-N-D, Aramaic, A-R-A-M-I-C, forgiveness. If you type that into your app store, you'll be looking at the world's only forgiveness app. That app is designed to be extremely private. Only one permission is required to operate it. We don't want to be able to dial your phone or make changes to your file system or send texts or take pictures or look at pictures or take video. We're not interested in any of that. The only permission that's required to use the app is, and we did this very consciously and very purposely so that it would be as private as possible, the only permission needed is, of course, it has to use the Internet in order to function. Once you finish your first worksheet, you'll have the option, if you choose, to print it as a PDF. If you're going to do that, then it will ask for a second permission. And the second permission will simply be to write to your drive so that it can save what it is that you want to save. Otherwise, there are no permissions. So again, go to your app store, type in Heartland Make Forgiveness, download the app, and from within the app, you can do two different versions of the worksheet. You can do the uh, Dragon Klingon game. And on every page, there's a link where if you've got a question, gee, I'm doing step five and I don't understand it, then drop us a note. Click that link. Gee, Michael, I'm doing step five, and here's my question. Send it. Jeannie will receive it and we'll address the question on the radio show. So you've got about three minutes. Time for one quick call if somebody wants to put a hand up real quick. Any other thoughts for you, Jeannie?
0: Well, we
1: actually only have a minute and a half.
3: A minute so and a half, I Close out. All right. Well, everybody, thank you for joining us. And we hold space for you to have the best year yet of your eternal life. Contact us for your interest in joining us for Still Point Breathing this weekend. Otherwise, have an awesome day. Blessings. Bye-bye.
0: Thank
1: you for listening to Mind Shifters Radio with Dr. Michael Rice and myself Jeannie Rice and Dr. Tim Hayes and Michelle Pichet as we present the first century Aramaic Internal Process of Forgiveness. We are here for two hours every Monday through Friday from 12 noon to 2 o'clock Eastern Time on Mind Shifters Radio. For more information on Aramaic Forgiveness, please visit www.whyagain.org. That's www.whyagain.org.